Welcome to the journey with Mpo Podcast, a sacred space for healing, love, and rediscovering your life purpose. Introducing your host, Mpo. for giving Ashley's episode the time it deserves. When I have a guest on the show, a lot of conversations occur unscripted, and I never know how long the episode will be until I'm editing and it's like, wow, what do I include? What do I exclude? Thank you to the guests for trusting my intentions and tuitions, and to the audience for always appreciating the show content. I would like to warn the listeners that this episode may contain emotional triggers. In continuing with the spirit of Women's Month, I have invited a man who knows what it takes to be a good father, partner, and friend. His alias is the Viking poet, an alter ego he created for the purpose of his poetry. Speaking with the Viking poet at a poetry gathering, his energy felt like the energy that my tribe is made up of. Our conversation on that day was the reason I started going to therapy. I was battling with continued anxiety and depression attacks. He said, you cannot deal with something you don't know. It's a ghost and it's scary. But if you name it, you can see it and grab it by the throat. Without further ado, I give you the Viking Poet. When I was eight years old, if you asked me what my name was, I would likely introduce myself as, Hi, my name is Accident Fuck Up Worthless Slave Child. Even if you saw me, that is, chances are I would be folding laundry in a basement or locked in a closet for not doing the aforementioned in the time allotted by a woman whose eyes I was forbidden to gaze into. I once met a farmer named Ken who could fit 50 bales of hay in the back of a pickup truck and tell you how old a horse was just by looking inside of its mouth. When I was 12 years old, my mother held a knife to my throat. She made me promise her that I would kill myself by my 16th birthday. I got to skip school for the next two days on account of my black eye from falling out of bed. I had a classmate named Christina that year. Christina was such a talented singer that she sang the national anthem at Yankee Stadium. When I was 16 years old, I could count grams and ounces in the palm of my hand. I would always check my math twice, once with each nostril. I learned to put out the fire in my lungs with spirits strong enough to drown demons. I had a friend named Will. Will had a knack for how things worked. Computers, car engines, even a fucking toaster oven. He could take anything apart and put it back together. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I learned early on in life that everyone is good at something. We all have some skill, talent, or ability, and there will be days where it seems like the thing we are the best at in life is just staying alive. And that's okay, because there's power in pain, in its seemingly insurmountable permanence, an infinite spring that feels and flows like forever. 
Suffering has taught me something that success never could. I am immortal. long time coming. Take me, walk me through that poem a little bit. Oh man, so that is called Coming of Age. Mm -hmm. um, and it's sort of, it's kind of my life story in a way where, where I come from and just these pivot points in my life uh, that kind of made me who I am now. Mm -hmm. How long would you say it took you from noticing that that was a building phase for your life coming into the relationship with the fact that those things were happening to build this man that you are now oh i'm still figuring that out i have no i i actually still i still have to kind of reference that poem and remember it mm -hmm. um, that's one of the reasons uh, i don't memorize some of my poems mm -hmm. you know if you say something enough times it loses feeling to you that's Definitely. how that's how I love you becomes a thing you say when you get off the phone. Mm -hmm. So I, I write those poems down so that I read it and I feel it every single time I get into it. How long ago did you write that poem? Um, man, probably in the last few months. Uh, I've only, there's been pieces of it that I've always kind of like wanted to write down, but uh, a unique thing I guess about my pieces is I've never really written off a prompt or sat down and thought about writing. Um, this piece, like a lot of my pieces, I, I put my pen down, I write, I pick my pen up, and that's it. Uh, mm -hmm. Sure, there's like editing, you go back, right? A lot of times yeah. editing is taking things out, yeah. um, but that's just how a lot of my pieces happen, usually within, within an hour, a half hour, or something like that, to start to finish. Now you talk a little bit about your upbringing in the piece. Tell me a little bit more about that. Whew. Um, <laughs> Already deep into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> here we go. Man, right into it. So, um, I, I was not wanted. Uh, when my parents had a baby, my, my birth father convinced my mother to have a child. Mm -hmm. She didn't even want me. And then once she had me, he disappeared. Okay. And then like all children, uh, not even on purpose, I would have the same facial expression as a father or have the same eyes and mm -hmm. she resented me for that. Um, I can, no exaggeration, like the opening line of the poem, I don't know the last time my, my mother called me by my name. Mm. Uh, my name was Slave. Okay. Um, Doofus was another nickname. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't human. Okay. Um, so when I would get in trouble if I upset my mother mm -hmm. um, she would put me in a closet mm. uh, and in that closet I would have a pot of dog food to this day the smell of kibbles and bits like gives me anxiety mm. um, and a pot to use the bathroom in mm -hmm. uh, and the longest I spent in that closet was three days um, yeah yeah one one time like child services came looking. I had been missing and not, mm -hmm. gone, not gone to school. And they found a little boy with cigarette burns on his arm mm. uh, in a closet with dog food. And I was taken from home. 
So you and I have spoken about the fact that you grew up in an adopted family home. Yes. Do you think you found ways to make peace with the younger boy who was in the closet or not? How difficult do you think that is? It's so, so difficult. I'm still, I'm still working on it mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I think because that, that neuroplasticity we have as children, whatever happens as children is how we learn to cope. Yes. Is what forms us into who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so much of my life at an early age was not having or understanding emotion, Mm -hmm. um, was not coping. So as I'm an adult and you go to lean back to that inner child, like we all do, uh, it, that's kind of what I had to go off of. And it's crazy that like, we only know what we're exposed to. Mm -hmm. So if, if that's all, you know, that's normal. I was maybe 10 years old or so before Mm -hmm. I found out my life experience wasn't normal. What had Mm -hmm. happened was I was in that foster home Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I had done something trivial to this day. I don't remember what it was like spilled milk, dropped the glass, something. Okay. Um, and I put myself in a closet. Mm. Um, and my foster mother came to me and I remember her the first time in my life I ever felt affection, love, right. was this woman wrapped her arms around me and Mm. she just kept saying like, what did they do to you? What, what happened to you? Yeah. And that was the first time in my life somebody touched me without hurting me in some way. Mm. And that was the first time I ever realized, like, my experience wasn't normal. Yeah. So you're diagnosed with a mental health issue. What is your what was your first episode and how did you handle it? Do you even remember? Um <clears throat> I don't think that I had a first episode as much as I realized what episodes were. Mm-hmm. Um so I have uh post traumatic stress disorder, mm-hmm. uh chronic depression, mm-hmm. uh and borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh the thing kind of like we talked about Uh, Borderline personality disorder. I was listening to Ashley's episode, which I loved. And her and I relate very heavily on mental health issues. I joke and say borderline, we'll say BPD, borderline personality disorder. BPD is like bipolar, but faster. Okay. Um, I experienced emotions very intensely. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talk about as a child, borderline, much like bipolar, doesn't develop or show itself until you're like a young adult. Yeah. Because where borderlines come from almost every single time is a history of child abuse. Mm. When someone is learned, when someone learns how to handle emotions and how to cope with emotions, mm-hmm. they, as an adult, go through things they really need to cope and they don't have those tools. Mm-hmm. And that's when you find out usually someone has borderline or is a borderline. Mm. What do you do in terms of your healing? How do you think you find ways to deal with a lot of the wounds that you experienced growing up? Um, who therapy, mm-hmm. therapy for sure. Um, one of the things, uh, about borderline not having a coping mechanism is that it's unique and that it can be cured. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only effective cure is long-term DBT, dialectical behavior therapy, mm-hmm. speech therapy okay. with a psychotherapist. And that's something it's so important that I tell people in the poetry scene is that mm-hmm. poetry, the saying is, oh, this is therapy. <laughs> and like it is 
but it's not real therapy. Mm -hmm. If you have a, a counselor, you go to a social worker, that's amazing, but that's mm -hmm. not therapy. Yeah. That's not a doctor who diagnoses you mm -hmm. and gives you tools to help yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so talk therapy, huge. That's where writing comes from for me, mm -hmm. was literally therapy. When I was feeling, um, they call it a crisis. When you have a crisis, my therapist would say, hey, when you have these feelings, write. Okay. Immediately write. And mm -hmm. where that helps so much, where I think it gives my my poetry a quality of genuineness to it is when you have an, a crisis or an episode uh, when someone with anxiety depression bipolar i think can relate to this is in that moment that's the only emotion you feel like you've ever had mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when you're depressed you're like sure i have happy moments but this is how i always feel yeah when you're happy you're like sure i have sad moments but i'm happy this is all i feel yeah yeah uh so that emotion you feel it so intensely like I, I tell people, I don't get sad, I get heartbroken. Okay. I don't get embarrassed, I get brutally ashamed. Mm -hmm. uh, and something that's helped me heal is accepting, uh, I call it like spiritual symbiosis. Okay. Kind of the duality <laughs> of, sure, I'm very sensitive, things can break my heart. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the other side of that is it makes me so much of a passionate lover. It makes me pay so much attention to detail. It makes me be sensitive to my partner and to my mm -hmm. friend. It makes me be more considerate. Mm -hmm. um, so feeling deep comes at a cost, but it also has a reward. And so that's it's a very common thing. They say people who are partners with borderlines say, yeah, they're, they're really sensitive. That's really rough. Mm -hmm. But you'll never meet someone who loves you as deeply, who listens to every single thing, who connects with you on, on such a heart level as a borderline. Because we know how it feels to hurt. Yeah. yeah. Like so the, you yeah, don't ever sure. want someone to feel that intensity. You know, we're always careful and tiptoeing around people's emotions. Yeah. How do you deal with the stigma of telling people you're in therapy? You go, okay, I'm in therapy. And people are like, whoa, 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 sensitive alert. They're going to cry at every second that I say something because I hurt their feelings. Yeah. Um, I read something recently that said half of us are in therapy because people in our lives who refuse to go to therapy. Mm -hmm. I right? remember that. And I think people, uh, they project their own shit. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, well, you, oh, you go to therapy because of this? Like, no, a lot of times when people attack things in you, they're attacking things about themselves that they hate. You know, so if you, the first thing I, I, I see, if I see a hyper-religious person shaming a woman about what she's wearing walking down the street, I think what really was happening is you were looking and you hate that about yourself. Yeah. So you called her out, which kind of makes me where the feminist part of me comes in. Like, no, the she shouldn't change what she wears. You should just not be a fucking creep. You know, like, why is that not? Mm -hmm. People who sexualize things that aren't sexual are the weird ones. Um, so when people try to call me out, I'm just like, hey, like, what are you going through? Yeah. Uh, and I normalize it and it is normal. I see it as uh, I'm an athlete. Yes. Right. Um, I have a master's degree in exercise physiology. Mm -hmm. uh, I I'm credentialed through the U.S. Olympic Committee as a weightlifting coach. Uh, I'm a competitor as well, and I think of it as uh, if I had an athlete or a patient, uh, you know, who had a bum shoulder, I would refer them to physical therapy. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you know, I, I I'm a medical person. I could help you, but you need a specialist to help the shoulder to rehab it mm -hmm. to be a healthy shoulder again. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that to ourselves emotionally and mentally? Hey, my, mm -hmm. my heart hurts or I'm not handling things mentally well. 
hey, that's that's cool. I'm not equipped for that, but yes. I'm going to refer you out to the specialist mm-hmm. to rehab that. Because like people don't, for example, someone with depression or uh, borderline, for example, mm-hmm. it is a physiological thing. If you were to do a CAT scan, if you were to look at the brain mm-hmm. of me versus someone who who is quote unquote normal functioning, yes. my frontal lobe would be developed differently. Yes, Because the frontal lobe is the part of the brain that regulates how we handle emotions, emotional responses. When is that developed? When we're children mm-hmm. and we're having those coping mechanisms being developed. So as an adult, I don't have that. Mm-hmm. So it's almost literally exactly like going to physical therapy because it is a part of my body. Mm. I like that. Moving the conversation a little bit forward, did you decide that you needed mental help or did someone force you into it and say, hey, you've got to get help? Um, I decided. Mm-hmm. I very classic case of hurt people hurt people. Mm. I was destroying anybody I got in a relationship with. I was codependent, would put the expectation of my happiness on someone else and they'd never be able to fulfill it. Um, Yeah, I I was ruining relationships and just not the person I should be. Mm. And there was finally this wake up call where it's like, okay, if, if one person tells you the problem, or you are the problem, then whatever, screw them. Mm-hmm. If two people tell you, you know, maybe I just have bad taste in people. If mm-hmm. everyone tells you the same thing, guess what, man, you're the problem. So I started to become more introspective. Yes. And that wasn't the moment that made me realize I needed help or I wanted help. Introspection made me want help. Mm-hmm. Because when we look inside of ourselves, the more I did it, the more I hated myself. Mm-hmm. So I needed someone to help me cope with this sudden awareness I was developing. Because mm. the more I realized things I was doing and who I was and my thought processes, the more I hated myself. So an mm. example is I volunteered at a local homeless shelter. Yes. And when that first started, um, I had I had read this uh, this Buddhist quote about, you know, how you re- one of the ways you reclaim your humanity is through compassion. Okay. And the more introspective I felt, the less human I felt. Okay. And I was like, okay, you got it, Buddha. Like, you, I, I should do that. I should, I should be mm-hmm. compassionate. And I say compassionate because compassion is action. Compassion is a verb. Mm-hmm. To have pity is to feel bad for someone. That does nothing. Yes. I like to say people don't need thoughts and prayers. They need eye contact and bus fare. Yeah. And so I started doing that. And into doing this, I realized I wasn't doing this to be compassionate. I was doing this to make myself feel better. Mm. And so that's what I was going to yeah. ask. And that was like that. That's what made me really dislike myself even more. So I was like, man, I can't even do something good. It's not for it's not for this person. I'm making myself feel better. Mm-hmm. Okay. In preparing for this interview, we discussed the importance of noticing suicidal tendencies in an individual. Tough question. Trigger alert. Have you ever considered suicide? Yes. Um, Spoiler alert. Uh, My second piece I'll be reading for the podcast is a very significant piece to me. Um, This will come full circle, I promise. (laughs) Um, I've only read it in public twice. And the last time I read it was a few months ago. And I said, I'm never reading this in front of a crowd again. Mm -hmm. Um, it's about the point in my life 
uh, before like being diagnosed with mental illness mm -hmm. and realizing I don't want to be alive anymore and that I needed help. Um, a big part of that comes from, you hear my first piece, it's true. My mother made me promise her that I would kill myself. And on a regular basis before I left home as a kid, I would be reminded of that promise when I was to keep that promise. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a point in my life where I was like, I, I don't want to be here. Did you have help at that point in your life? Um, I went, I went and found it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, um, statistically, uh, of most mental illnesses, something like one in 10 borderlines commit suicide mm -hmm. and more than almost every time someone who's a borderline, they don't attempt suicide. They complete suicide. Okay. Cause the thing about us is when we feel hopeless, we really feel that in our hearts. Mm -hmm. It's not an attempt for attention mm -hmm. or I tried. They're like, no, I, I don't want to be alive anymore. So it, it's, you're more prone to suicide as a borderline than like bipolar, schizophrenic, depression combined. Um, and it's crazy because if I, if I told somebody that, you know, this number of people is going to die from this illness, people would take it seriously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but if you tell it's a mental illness, suddenly it's taken less seriously. But if it was a disease, you'd, you, we'd have to fix this immediately. Why do you think that is? Why do you think people don't take mental health seriously? I think I should get a free parking spot, like a disability <laughs> parking yeah. spot for my mental health issues. Because oh, I get stressed trying to find a parking spot. I get worked up and I'm like, what am I going to do? Am I going to have to walk? Am I going to have to peek over my shoulder? Are yeah. people following me? PTSD, right? Because fears and you're like... I want, if, I, if that's the case, I want a special checkout line <laughs> where, like, I don't have to deal with people. <laughs> like, I just want my own checkout line where the cashier just keeps saying really nice things to me. <laughs> um, and there's no children being yelled at. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know why it's not taken seriously. It's, it, I think as time progresses, we take it more seriously. Or, you know, we're far ahead of... A point in time where like if a woman if a woman if a woman liked to have sex a lot she was put in an insane asylum mm -hmm. you know or if you're a homosexual we can shock it out of you mm -hmm. uh, so we've definitely made progress mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely I, I don't think taken as seriously as as it should be mm -hmm. which makes it worse so an example so. I've seen in the homeless people that I work with is a lot of times you see a homeless man or woman walking down the street Screaming, yelling, acting, we think crazy. Mm -hmm. But you can believe things onto people. Okay. People, people react how they're treated, right? Whenever you talk to someone, you're going to get back whatever you speak to. I believe Reflecting in, energy. Yeah, I really believe in you should always speak to the highest person when you talk to somebody and you will get a response from the highest person. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. you speak to the lower form of somebody, that lower form is going to speak back to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of these homeless people are ignored and looked at like they're invisible to the point where maybe they almost kind of believe that. Mm -hmm. So they have these huge versions of acting out because to them, they're they're invisible. They could do whatever they want. Nobody notices. Mm -hmm. They're almost not human. And I can relate to that because as a, as a child, when I was first put in foster home, I and I realized my life wasn't normal, I thought to myself, okay, if I survived where I came from, I don't need people. I don't right. need grown-ups. Mm -hmm. I made it this far, mm -hmm. so I would run away. 
I ran away over and over and over. There was a point where as a kid, I spent a year homeless by myself, stealing to survive, living under a pier. Um, and so I, I saw these things in people. Uh, and that's why to this day, it means a lot to me to you know make eye contact, especially someone in that situation, to hug, I don't care how you smell, to hug them. Yeah. To be like, hey, you matter. You mm-hmm. exist. Just mm-hmm. a reminder. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important. I've been trying to convince people that the people who are mass shooting are calling out. It's a cry for help. Yeah. And as disturbed as it sounds, there are just people who were never listened to, never taken seriously, told you can shake it off it's all in your head there's nothing wrong with you and when you give people the opportunity to just share their stories no matter how crazy you think it is no matter what religion you come from whether they're gay not gay whatever when you give people the opportunity to express themselves in their form you liberate them from everything the world's trying to do to them because in every magazine you're supposed to be this person you're supposed to do this to be rich you're supposed to be this person at your job and never are you ever given an opportunity to be who you truly are and even if that means being a promiscuous woman who sleeps with 500 people you know if that makes you happy if that prevents you from taking a gun and shooting 500 people hey hun go find people who love sleeping with 500 other people and do it yeah yeah i think so being told it's all in their head. One of my favorite lines of poetry ever, and I realize I have personal bias when I'm being serious. (laughs) Ashley has a poem she read in your last episode. I I love this poem where she says, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but like, my mother told me, hey, it's all in your head. Mm. And I told her, that's the problem. This is all in my head. Yeah. And that's so beautiful and so true. And I think what happens is we talk about like these mass shootings. Um, People mistake understanding something for condoning it yes and then we get called too sensitive mm-hmm. when you say oh this person just needed to be listened to and like oh you're making an excuse for it? no i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not condoning it no no that dude's still a piece of shit that yeah, should yeah. rot in prison for the rest of his life i'm just yeah. saying to understand something you can prevent it from happening again mm-hmm. we can be proactive and not reactive mm-hmm. we can take mental health more seriously mm-hmm. and people always think just because i want to understand something that I agree with it somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case at all. There are, there have been plenty of times, one of the things that helped me get over my mother, for example, mm-hmm. was understanding. Mm-hmm. She saw a man that she hated, that she thinks ruined her life, in another person. Mm-hmm. So she attacked me as hard as she could, and she made me not human. Is that okay? No. Mm-hmm. But to understand it makes me okay. Mm-hmm. How many therapists have you had in your lifetime? Well, Oh, um... It's, it's hard. So, like, I've talked to several, mm-hmm. whether it be as a kid getting put in foster care and, like, we need you need help mm-hmm. or, you know, going through traumas as an adult, talking to different people. Uh, but I would say that the therapist I have right now is the first time I've had my therapist, the person who in, and anybody with mental illness knows there was several hours and several meetings before even a diagnosis happens. And I would mm-hmm. warn any listener, anybody who, if you talk to someone and before I got diagnosed, there were four different appointments with batteries of hundreds of questions of mm-hmm. never, nearly every day, yes, mm-hmm. no, yes, no, kind of like me, not like me at all. Mm-hmm. Tons of things. Mm-hmm. Them in the book, the DSM, 
right? Mm-hmm. Anybody who has a therapist knows what the DSM is. Uh, they're, they're in that, they're in that book, the, it's like the diagnostic, it's the manual they read to do they this or this, you okay. know, um, anybody who, who gets a diagnosis or told there's something without all of those hours beforehand, those mm-hmm. visits of, we're going to go for the next hour as much into your life story as you can emotionally handle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they start working with you. That's the only way that's real help. That's a doctor. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you have like a social worker or somebody who you're venting to yeah. and that's cool, right? But we, we need, we need to treat a symptom, not a disease, mm-hmm. right? And I, I say that in terms of, let's say borderlines, for example, we have things like we tend to have substance abuse issues at a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was an addict as a, as a teenager and I, I discussed that in that poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people believe, and I support this, right? I, I am still an addict. I will always be an addict. I will always be recovering. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally, I don't feel that way. I say I was an addict, mm-hmm. right? But if you feel that way, that's awesome. Good for you, right? Mm-hmm. I went through an Arconics Anonymous as a teenager, 12 mm-hmm. steps, all that jazz. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, uh, the therapist I have now is the first time I feel like this is my therapist. I kind of like my therapist too, Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't want to diagnose me. He doesn't tell me what I have. I think we've been doing this for about three months now. And he's like, we don't need to put it in a box. Just yeah. let's talk. What yeah. is the problem? How can I help you achieve the self that you want to be your yeah. higher self so that you can stop vibrating from your lower self? He literally uses those words. And I'm like, yeah. you're a spiritualist. I, I didn't know you could be like, Western medicine with spirituality put together, which kind of makes it really cool. Especially if you're if you're an overthinker, for borderlines also. Especially, mm-hmm. um, some doctors say it's dangerous to to give them a diagnosis. Okay. Because they're gonna hate themselves more. Yes. Right. Or if, if they're gonna, if you're an overthinker, you're gonna think through it, mm-hmm. and then you have these kind of like existential crises of, do I really feel this way? Or is this because of this that I feel this way? Yeah. And you could just like circle this drain. So some some doctors choose, I guess, whatever's best for the person. I don't I don't know. Or I'd be a doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, you know, maybe it's not for the best that I give this person this label. Because then also we can make excuses for ourselves. Mm. And I've done that. I've done that. No, th- there are people who make their illness their identity. Mm-hmm. And it's you, you get people who turn into the, that's just who I am. Like, no, you're a socially retarded asshole. <laughs> And you need to fix yourself. That's not just who you are. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think people with similar mental health issues are often attracted to each other? Yes. And that is why I've had so many toxic relationships, right? Um, If you, you always attract the the parts of you that need healing. Yes. Are what you attract, Mm -hmm. right? So if you are a codependent narcissist, you are going to attract a codependent narcissist. Right. If you if you keep meeting different people who pull the same triggers, right, you got to find parts of yourself that need healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a relationship now uh, with my my best friend and I love her with so much of me. And we always talk about, you know, like we know she's my soulmate. This is my twin flame. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I love this woman with all my heart. And we've never had that weird cheesy conversation of, I wish I could meet you sooner so I could love you longer. Mm. I'm like, if you met me sooner, you would have saw straight through me because I was a piece of shit. Okay. I did not deserve you then. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for you then. Mm-hmm. So you, you need to, as cliche as it sounds, it's true. You need to be your own whole. Yes. Or you will attract the broken pieces of you. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that is what I, I did. And you could do that in friendships. You could find yourself in toxic friendships. People seem to forget toxic relationship isn't just who you're fucking. Yes. Right? Your yeah. mother could be a toxic relationship. Yes. Your friend could be a toxic relationship. Uh, and we, we seem to forget we, we attract those parts of ourselves in people, period. It's just the most dangerous when it's an intimate partner because that's who you're always around. How would you say poetry has affected your life? It, oh man. So it makes me feel better, honestly. It's venting, it's purging. I think of it as, I had this conversation today actually. You ever be physically ill and you're like, man, if I could just like puke, I would feel better right now. I just need to get this out and go on with the day. But until you puke, you're just nauseated. Okay. Right? Sometimes your heart needs to puke. Okay. Right? You just, I just need to get this out so I can keep <laughs> going. Um, so that's, that's so cathartic in terms of just getting it out of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It makes me more accountable to myself mm-hmm. in terms of mental illness or kind of seeing it. We talked about like, do I really feel this way right now? Or is this what I'm going through? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if I look back on something I wrote in a moment, which was the whole point of the therapy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh boy, like, way to go, emo kid. Like, that was super <laughs> dramatic. Or, you know, you could tell uh, everything, whether it be a sex poem, because I, I, I have those too, you know? Um, it, it really helps me kind of look back into terms of, like, how I was really feeling in the moment. Mm-hmm. And then I think all artists are, are people just wanting connection. Mm-hmm. We just want empathy. And there are so many pieces that I've read and people have talked to me with tears in their eyes and been like, man, I feel that. Like, I relate yeah. to that. And it makes you feel less crazy. Like, yeah. okay, it's not just me. Like, somebody else relates to this. Somebody else yeah. feels it. Man, woman, there are there are poems you've read as a, as a victim of domestic violence, as a black woman from South Africa mm-hmm. that I relate to. On, yeah. on a human level and me too there are yeah. there are pieces i've read that you're like man brother i relate to you yeah yeah and it, it crosses so much uh mm-hmm. one of one of my dear friends uh is a trans woman named noah mm-hmm. uh noah Helela, and uh she's an amazing poet uh she's a talented artist and i i love her like a sister mm-hmm. and there are me uh, a cis straight white guy mm-hmm. and this local trans woman we connect on levels sometimes or we'll be on the phone for an hour, two hours and be like, oh my God, me too. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it has an ability to connect people mm-hmm. that otherwise would not connect. And you can tell when you see a, a group of artists, right? Because you'd see like a, a cowboy with his hat and his big old belt buckle and then like the goth kid with like the super baggy jeans mm-hmm. and then like you super fancy, sophisticated and po. <laughs> Uh, and then like the trans woman and all those people in a group mm-hmm. and we've done that you and I we've yes. been we've been in poetry slams where you kind of look around at this ragtag breakfast club <laughs> and you're like none of us would have talked to each other in public we yes. never would have approached each other yes and there That's are people fair. who I only see at poetry slams that know more about me and I connect more with than people I've known my entire life mm, the beauty of poetry yeah shared suffering is a real thing yeah Misery breeds company. My ex used to say that in a very weird way. <laughs> yeah, not, not in a good way. Not in a good way. But it takes us back to like, yeah. I, I love, I call like my group, my tribe, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you say that too. Uh, yeah. So it's like, we're tribal. 
We yeah. all we always revert back to that. We are we are tribal. We all want connection. Like em- empathy is just something we need. Okay. So you're not your average Christian, right? How different are your views from the average Christian? You have a trans friend. Yes, I have a few trans friends, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, I have a friend uh, who calls herself the gender transcender. And I love that. <laughs> I think that's so cool. Um, but yeah, uh, I would say I believe uh, the gospel is love. Mm-hmm. I believe Jesus is love. I believe God is love. Mm-hmm. I think my goal and what I'm supposed to do is love people unconditionally mm-hmm. and not judge them. I play no role in the salvation of others. Mm-hmm. And even if they mean well, Christians, I think, forget that sometimes. What, what happens between Jesus and you or God in your heart is not my business or my place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My job is to love you, to make sure you, you know he loves you. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Uh, and it's not, I saw this, this meme that I love. We talk about memes, right? Like the yeah. things that tie friends together. Uh, <laughs> where Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, love them like I loved you. Mm-hmm. And somebody is like, but what if they're gay? What if they worship other gods? Mm-hmm. And Jesus is like, did I fucking stutter? Yeah. Right? Like it's, <laughs> it's really that simple. I write poetry on the streets in Waikiki. Yes. And I sit out there busking and I write poetry on demand. And there was a guy, there's a guy who comes out there sometimes with a big old sign that God hates the gays and like just these terrible things that, that I didn't think people said in real life. Like you hear stories <laughs> and like, nobody's really like that anymore. And this okay. guy really does that. And being out there in the streets, I know who all the local prostitutes are, all the local sex workers, right? Mm. It's probably a better term to use sex workers. Um, so one of the women walks by and I told her, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. Jesus loves you. That's not my God. Mm-hmm. And this guy started getting on me. Mm. Well, you say this and you say that. And I said, she's a fucking human, man. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. It has nothing to do for, uh, another huge uh, Christian religious argument is abortion, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I am pro-choice. I am personally pro-life. But my personal beliefs can come into play when I have a uterus and give birth to a child, <laughs> right? Like I don't yeah. get to tell you God is, God gives us free will because God is love. Okay. Love is not control. Mm. If I truly love you, Mpo, what you do is your free will, mm. right? That's not my place. My place is when a woman is leaving a clinic, having an abortion, my place is to comfort her and mourn with her. The Bible mm. tells us mourn with people, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's because no one ever thinks about the standpoint of, I'm sure this wasn't how she saw her life turning out. No one walks out of a a situation like that with a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. So why are we not like, hey, instead of like, you shouldn't have done this. Hey, I'm so sorry that you were in the position to have to make this decision. Mm. When I meet that sex worker, I say, you know, I'm sure as a young girl or boy, Mm -hmm. no part of you was like, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. This wasn't your life aspiration. So mm-hmm. whatever happened, I, I I love you for who you are. You're not a project. Mm-hmm. It's not some weird spiritual abacus where if I win a certain number of souls, I get like a free fro- frozen yogurt with like 10 people I bring to church. You know, and where I guess I'm a little different is uh, 
uh, sometimes I found that it's more important to go out and be the church to people who will never go into the church. Mm-hmm. Because sadly enough, there are people that if today, if I bring them to a church, I will bring them further from Jesus. Mm. And that is partially because I think it's proof of, uh, of, of the gospel in that, like, that's who Jesus attracts, people who need him. So yeah, there's going to be equally broken, shitty people in the church because those are who need him. Me, me included. I, I, I need that, mm-hmm. right? If we look at the life of Jesus, he chose the 12 douchiest, most unreliable. One actually got him killed. Uh, Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane chopped a dude's ear off for talking shit to Jesus. Like, mm-hmm. that's a bad dude, you know? And that those were his best friends. So why don't we live like that? The Bible tells us, Hey, Christians, call each other out from a place of love. Mm-hmm. Be like, hey, you're doing something that's against our system of beliefs. Mm-hmm. But if it's somebody who doesn't believe what you believe in, all you are supposed to do is love and forgive them. Because how can I hold you accountable to my system of beliefs if you don't share my beliefs? Mm-hmm. Right? If you don't have my faith, why would I tell you, well, God says you shouldn't do that? Well, good for you, man. I don't believe in God. You know, like, I can't, I can't do that. And a big thing that caused a lot of turmoil uh, is I, I wrote a paper and I had a discussion with some professors that I do not know that there is a God mm-hmm. and that ruffled some feathers. And I said, hold on now. I believe I have faith, but the whole point of faith is that I do not have proof that I do not know. So for all I know, I die and that's it. For all I know, I die and the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was, was right. Mm-hmm. You know, for all I know, reincarnation is real. Mm-hmm. I think if more of us on all sides of the theological side of the house realize we have faith, mm-hmm. we would be much more tolerant and loving of each other. Have you always had this viewpoint or is it something that you've developed over time? Uh, it is something I think I've developed over time. Karl Marx has this saying that Religion is the opiate of the people. Mm-hmm. For a lot of places, historically, maybe even to this day, religion was the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. It was used by those in power to stay in power. Mm-hmm. On the non-malicious side of the house, people in a time of crisis will run to something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nietzsche talks about master morality and slave morality. It glorifies the underdog. You should be happy that you're poor. Mm-hmm. You're blessed. Mm-hmm. Um, so like a lot of people, religion was something that I ran to in a time of desperation and made me feel better. Okay. Over time, it became my faith and, and a personal relationship and, and, a, and a system of beliefs, not just something that made me feel better. Something I like to tell Christians is it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that's okay. Mm-hmm. It, you can, I'm this kind of weird new age thing where like, you know, doctors and science are a real thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Like, hey, uh, if you are having some stress, you know, try lavender, you know, take a bath, get outside. Uh, If you have a a life-threatening disease, you should probably have some penicillin. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's it's kind of a a balance of like, I believe in medicine and science, but also Let's not go crazy and create the zombie apocalypse by giving people antibiotics for everything under the sun. <laughs> Let's ease out into the second poem. We're really enjoying spending time with you. Are you ready? I, I, I think so. I hope so. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs>
Dear audience, me being one to tell you the story doesn't mean that I survive at the end. I once spent the night white-knuckling a steering wheel in the parking lot of an emergency room. These crooked incisors, two shades short of ivory, chewing on cheeks that were stifling back an absurd cacophony that was half cackling and half sobbing. All the while asking myself questions I had asked patients of my own for the last 11 years. Did I have a plan? How would I do it? What was stopping me? Knowing that I could walk through those doors and just tell them two words I had never spoken once in my life. Not when my biological birth vessel beat me between putting cigarettes out on an arm that I still can't tattoo over enough to cover all these scars. Not when my third foster parent in six months asked me to take my pants off during a game of show and tell. Not when I prayed to a porcelain god, offering up my organs as sacrifice, soiled with pills, potions, and powders. Two words I never spoke even after two failed marriages. Marriages to people who did not know half of these things about me. Because knowledge is power, and I had been so weak for so long that holding on to it was the only way I felt strong anymore. So I sat in that car, begging God, Allah, Buddha, and Zeus to use that strength to walk through those doors and say just two words. But power is addictive. And addiction was an old friend of mine who I used to love so dearly. More than I ever loved myself, that's for sure. So I left that parking lot and spent another night with those two words on the tip of a silver tongue that can convince everyone that I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm not okay, I wanna be okay, I wish I could be okay, STOP TELLING ME TO BE OKAY! I did the same thing I've told patients in my care. I went to get counseling. I sat in an office and filled out blank forms with flower pens where a soul that spent 30 years bleeding was reduced to questions that were to be answered on a scale of never to nearly every day. And a woman with a plaque on her wall and family photos on her desk told me I should just try yoga and breathing. You're just stressed out. Why the fuck didn't I think of that? Thanks for that groundbreaking epitome of epiphanies. Here I thought that self-sabotage and suicidal ideations were perhaps something I needed assistance with. Turns out all I needed was some deep breathing and downward facing dog. Silly me, right? I'm just stressed out. Funny because stressed out feels a lot like sitting alone on a beach in the midday sun with every inch of my flesh being covered in burns that no one can see but me. And all I want is a hug, and you try to give it to me, but this metaphorically mangled flesh screams the second you try, I HATE YOU! Don't leave me. But you do. And I don't blame you. So now I go to the beach at night. Because moonlight doesn't burn like the sun. Because moonlight protects you from the world. It only shows you what is right in front of you, while the sun demands both to be seen and for you to see. I sat alone on that sand and finally whispered my secret to the sea. Those two words that no one would ever hear but me. Help me. Favorite food in your 
in the entire world. Pizza. Ugh. Ugh. Weightlifting champion eats pizza? I said favorite food, not eat it all the time. Yeah, but if it's your favorite food, you gotta eat it all the time. No, I just make up for it. Since I don't eat it all the time, when I do eat pizza, I eat an entire pizza. Okay. Kill us, what do you put as toppings? Pepperoni. Pepperoni, uh, extra cheese. Uh, pineapple. No. If you if no, you no, 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 no. We're not even doing this. We no. we're not gonna You live in Hawaii. We don't argue about pineapples. Okay? Hawaii didn't start pineapple pizza. <laughs> And I will have you know, if you put pineapples on your pizza, you're weak, your bloodline is weak, and your children will not survive the winter. Oh, curse you, <laughs> demon. <laughs> Cannot be serious. Pineapple isn't good for you. It is. Okay. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. No, it's a vegetable. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Oh, I didn't come up with that. That's definitely like a meme or something. <laughs> I wish I was that cool. No. <laughs> Favorite drink? Water. For real. Yeah, me. I really just, I just want to drink water. I don't. You want to do a smoothie? Um, nope. Not a big, like, alcohol drinker. Um, not into sodas. I really just like drinking water. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Tell me about your new relationship. Oh, um, so my girlfriend, I don't know if I should like, should I say her name? Should I not say her name? I don't know. So you want to. The lady. Yes, we'll call her the lady. Uh, the lady. The so lady in waiting. How we met actually was at a poetry slam. We were at Wine and Poets. Okay. And have you heard the kinky one, the sexy poem I have? You have a kinky poem? I ha it's called the kinky one. Uh, so it's a it's a sexy poem, and uh, she was like standing from me to you, like a few feet in front of me in the front row. Uh huh. And at the time, she was with somebody, and I was with somebody, and it was a completely innocent like connection. Okay. Obviously, like ooh, you know, but like nothing inappropriate. Mm -hmm. We uh, became friends instantly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. what's funny is looking back, we find out later that night, the person she was with was like, hey, "What the hell was that about?" <laughs> And she was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just, I met this person, made a friend, like, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and she meant it. She really meant that. Mm -hmm. And the person I was with said the same thing. Mm -hmm. Hey, what was that about? I'm like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And I meant that. And I really, I really meant that. And then several, uh, not several, a few months later, um, I was out riding on the streets of Waikiki. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's walking by. And my side of the story is I'm like, oh, I think that's her. Her side of the story is she was with her friend and she's like, hey, walk faster. There's some dude looking at us right now. <laughs> so I was like, hey, no, what's up? You know? And yeah. Then we started talking um, and we haven't spent a single day apart since. Uh, we've always been friends, mm -hmm. but people talk about this whole like love at first sight, explosive stars. Uh, for me, and we've talked for us, it was this feeling of familiarity. Mm-hmm. I remember the moment like looking at her and and she feels the same way like look we've talked about this right looking at her and being like it's it's you mm -hmm. it's always been you hasn't it mm. and uh yeah she's she's amazing she's my best friend and I I love her to pieces and the crazy thing is like she's a bombshell but that's the least threatening thing about this woman so she was a college athlete she has a degree in biology she comes to the shelter with me 
on the weekends. Mm -hmm. She's just an amazing human being. And on top of that, she's super hot. (laughs) So like that's, that's amazing. But we kind of, um, we talk about this in terms of it's very strange for both of us to be in a really healthy dynamic with someone who cares about you. Mm-hmm. Cause we'll have an argument or a conflict or kind of work on our communication and then almost be gun shy or flinchy. Like what comes next? And we're like, no, that was it. We mm-hmm. talked through a conflict. We solved it. Hey, I hear you. Uh, I also need you to work on this. Hey, you're right. I'm sorry. I'll work on that too. Welcome and both, to adulting. Yeah. Like welcome to a healthy relationship. And it's crazy. Um, and I, I could not be more grateful. Mm. I'm excited for you. You had me worried there coming out of that last relationship. I was a terrible friend. You like would call me all the time and like text me. And I was just so shut off from the world. Ashley would, Mm. Ashley was there for me. Darren, another amazing poet friend of ours. Mm. Um, So like there were these people that were, were very much so there for me. And you could tell they're people who have struggled with similar issues or even mental illness. And if, if you're listening and you want to know how to be there for somebody, they were there for me in whatever way I needed. Mm. Some people mean well, mm-hmm. right? But they're there for you in the way they need to be. Mm-hmm. Like love languages don't just apply to intimate relationships. Mm. They, replied, they apply to friendships too. Maybe someone doesn't receive love the way you do. Mm-hmm. So they, they, were, they were there for me in the way I, I needed and the time I needed. And you were as well. Mm. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a dark time coming out of that relationship. And I think everybody who knew that person I was with was shocked. Yeah. Um, a lot of us felt betrayed and just, yeah. holy cow. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've been trying to have a discussion with my mom about. You know, sometimes when you try and offer help to people, it may not be the help that they want. It's the help that you know how to offer, but it's not the help that's needed at that point in time. And it's not a thing to take personally and say, oh, you know, they're not returning my calls or they're not wanting my help. It's not about you. Yeah. And that ties into like my recreational life too. Mm -hmm. Uh, People ask me about fitness. Mm -hmm. What do you think about the latest craze? Zumba, P90X, whatever. I say, hey man, the thing that you stick to is what will work. Mm -hmm. The thing you're consistent with is what works. There have been peer-reviewed medical journal studies of um, patients, physical therapy patients, mm-hmm. uh, doing treatments that aren't even indicative for what they're going through, mm-hmm. but when they have buy-in and they follow through, it's effective, mm-hmm. right? It, it's yeah. it's what they want or need at the time. I'm not saying all the time, right? But yeah. it, it's what somebody takes ownership of, is consistent with, mm-hmm. is what changes the game. Hmm. Interesting. So you have two sons, yeah? Yes. How old? Uh, nine and ten. Well, my ten-year-old turns eleven August nineteenth, um, but I'm refusing to admit he's that age until that day. Double digits is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I remember they're both eighteen months apart, mm-hmm. um, and I remember once they were both uh, two, mm-hmm. I was like, I have no more babies. I have toddlers. <sighs> That's it. And then That's once they were both too. five, I was like, no more toddlers. I have two children. You know, so I think the next yeah. thing is going to be teenagers. It's going to be like, holy cow, they're not kids anymore. They're teenagers. Um, but they're amazing. They're my best friends. Uh, mm-hmm. They are going to be twice the man I could ever hope to be. Uh, and they're, they're awesome. How often do you spend time with them? 
man, not not as much as I like. So I had them uh, full time. Mm-hmm. I was a full time single parent, mm-hmm. and I came to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And the cost of like having a nanny full time, yeah. Plus uh, the education system here isn't awesome. There's people shaming me right now because like half of our friends are teachers, right? So sorry guys, love you. But yeah, um, the education here isn't like awesome. So you're also a certified paramedic. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of this career? I am a licensed paramedic. Okay. Ooh, we were fancier than that. Oh, I'm so. Honest. No, I'm just <laughs> feed my ego. Damn it. No. <laughs> uh, the most rewarding part of that, who, is, I want I want to give like the cheesy answer of helping people, um, but I think, in terms of trauma, if I'm real with myself, uh, you, you always feel like you did something that day. You feel like you have a purpose. You mm-hmm. have a use. Uh, of, of course, it feels good helping people, but a lot of people in the healthcare field will or will not own up to the fact that you help enough people, you see enough things, and you start to kind of lose touch. It becomes a number because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. you see every every day, and you start start making it less personal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm real with myself, it's that I always feel like I've done something, like I have a purpose, like I'm contributing. Because maybe. At the end of the day, I think all of our job as people is to make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And if you can't make it a better place, at least don't make it a worse one. Mm. That's very beautiful. So we're coming up on my favorite poem. Thoughts of a millennial parent. Thoughts of a millennial parent. This This is what shakes a lot of people up. That they're like, oh, wow, this guy's different. (laughs) <laughs> good, good, bad, or indifferent. This is unique. Yeah. Is that the kind of comments you get after you perform the piece all the time? Um, usually it's shock or surprise, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bummer. Because um, I'm like a white guy that grew up in uh, a Muslim home okay. in South Compton. Uh, and Natalie. yeah, and I don't fit the visual stereotype. Okay. Part of that is because I had an amazing foster mother who quite literally grabbed me by my neck sometimes and was like hey you don't need to talk a certain way listen to certain music dress a certain way because of what's around you uh, be yourself okay so yeah that it, and i grew up i think it's where the arts come from for me uh, because uh my my foster father uh, mm-hmm. was a black panther okay um and my my mother uh, was a civil rights activist so mm-hmm. i grew up uh studying islam okay. uh I, to this day, I'm not a fan of pork. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's not even like I choose a religion or anything. It's just, that's just what I grew up used to. Yeah. Um, and I studied like the Harlem Renaissance. Okay. Uh, so I still, my favorite poem ever is The Dream Keeper by Langston Hughes. Mm. And he says, uh, bring me all your dreams, you dreamers. Bring me all your heart melodies. Mm. So I may wrap them in a blue cloud cloth away from the two rough fingers of the world. I love Langston. Uh, Bodhi, who you had on, yes. he has a poem where he talks about Langston Hughes. Yeah. And that was like the first thing that made us talk. I was like, I love Langston! Uh, <laughs> listen to, listening to like Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of, uh, I, I acknowledge things like white privilege, okay. right? A hundred percent. I've seen both sides. Mm-hmm. I've seen when white people look both ways and think they're safe, okay. disgusting things come out of people's mouths. Okay. Because they look at me on the surface and they have no idea. 
Okay. I've seen uh, black Americans treat me like shit. Okay. And think I'm this, you know, white privileged kind of person, but they don't know where I came from. Mm-hmm. I spent, you know, half half my childhood getting my the crap kicked out of me because I lived where I lived and looked like what I looked like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people are like, well, you're white, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Or I'm like, hey, man, like I understand white privilege, but to mm-hmm. feed this problem is, isn't doing anybody any good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I am 100 uh, percent Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. Uh, not all lives matter, because if you ever find yourself part of a demographic that needs to assert that you actually matter, mm-hmm. like that's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think privilege is... Ooh, privilege is you thinking something's not a problem because you haven't personally faced it. Yep. And that's where, so that's where thoughts of a millennial parent came from is the idea that you can choose to be the game changer in your generation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We talk about generational curses, right? Like mm-hmm. you can be the one to be like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. It has to start somewhere, right? And it has to stop somewhere. Part of what breaking. better what better place than here a better time than now huh yeah part of breaking generational curses is not just about starting but about stopping certain yeah. behavior patterns too yeah even that's what we talked about maybe you don't do anything maybe you're the one to say i'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay thoughts of a millennial parent i am a father to two boys one day The three of us were going to a movie, and my friend Omar decided to join us. The boys love Omar. That night, the boys' grandmother asked them about their day. We went to the movies with Dad and Omar. Isn't he the gay one? She hissed, breath sour from venom and Virginia Slims, jagged teeth sharpening her forked tongue. I was never really good at science in school. That was when I did that thing where you draw three lines, then you draw three more lines, making that blocky S that had the points at the top and the bottom. Or when pretty girls would make that paper oracle that would destine you to live in either a mansion, apartment, shack, or house, with flicks of their fingers. But I do remember the definition of boiling. Boiling is the rapid vaporization of liquid when it is heated to a certain point. The blood in my veins had all but vaporized before she had finished flickering her fork through those sharpening stones. He's gay, not a fucking pedophile. My children cannot catch the gay. It's not some virus or shameful affliction that warrants quarantine. And if, if when they do grow up, they are to come home and tell me about the man that they are in love with, I want to see the light in their eyes when they describe him to me because I don't care about raising straight men with narrow minds. I care about raising good men with broad hearts. You know what else I don't care about? I don't care what bathroom you use. Just wash your damn hands. You can't give my sons transgender, but you can give them pink eye and that would suck. I I know, back in your day, things were so much better. Things were so much simpler. Let me tell you about your day. Back in your day, people lost their shit if someone with a darker skin complexion than you drank out of the same water fountain. Back in your day, the Reagan administration referred to AIDS as gay cancer. If it wasn't for the black community, I never would have made it off the street and into a foster home, where I was loved with open arms by a black family. If it wasn't for the gay community, I would not have Omars, men that teach my sons to be true to themselves and love however they see fit. 
These are the thoughts of a millennial parent, the musings of a man unafraid to rip out the shallow roots of his own rotting family tree, because you will not poison my fruit. Thank you so much for joining this space and sharing your energy, pouring out your heart over the mic and truly being who you've always been. I think it's beautiful to watch. I think it's motivating to see you heal yourself in so many ways. I think poetry is a good platform for you, a healer, and I do hope that you continue writing i i mean i hope so we'll see <laughs> no i think uh i love thank you for like creating this space mm -hmm. that makes you like pro comfortable with this mm -hmm. so we kind of like you know have dinner relax talk and you know what's cool is like we still have these personal conversations off the mic like you and i have been talking about doing this what seems like forever and it has been. it's just another conversation between us, but there's a mic on a table. Whereas mm -hmm. it's like, this is just another one of our talks. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's no way I'd feel this comfortable with, with someone who I didn't know at the level like you and I relate to. Mm -hmm. So like, thank you. Like, I really appreciate it. I'm mm -hmm. so stoked. And like to be on the same mic as like some people that I absolutely love. Bodhi, Z, Ashley. Like I, I, I have so much love for these people. And it's such a privilege to, to share this space with their energy. Your message to your kids, what would you like them to know about Viking Dad? The Viking Dad. Oh, man. <laughs> um, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm. Laugh at yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself because if you don't love yourself, nobody else can love you. Mm. A man who doesn't love himself will always treat outside love as an attack. Mm. The love of your life? Thank you. I cannot tell you enough. I have experienced the opposite of love in so many ways of my life. To, to be with you, I really know what love from another person feels like. And I cannot just say thank you enough. Mm. And the people who go out constantly trying to find out who the real Viking poet is. What do you have to say to them? Oh, the, my name doesn't matter. As someone once told me, this is gonna rhyme, it's not even on purpose. Um, the poem is not about the poet, the poem is about the poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, it is partially to keep myself accountable, to avoid the ego trap. Mm-hmm. And it's also so that you don't see a gender, a race, a social class. I'm just someone relating to you. Mm. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing. Where do we find more of you? Like if we want to read some of your poetry, not stalk you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Man, is yeah. So stalk me. You can stalk me. Uh, <laughs> Find, walk around Waikiki. Maybe one night you will run into the Viking poet. Uh, I, I just write for strangers, right? I'm, I'm there for that. Uh, Instagram, at the Viking poet. 
um, connect, tell me what something means to you, find something about heartbreak. Uh, if you, uh, it does really well if you attach it to a brick and throw it through somebody's window. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, so come see me in Hawaii or on Instagram. Okay, thank you so much, VP, for sharing. I am looking forward to more moments like this where we help not just ourselves heal, but the entire world heal. The tribe, I'm all about it. Thank yeah. you so much, Mbo. <laughs>